Now, today we go back to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. And last week we looked at the model of ministry. Today we look at the model of ministry again, part 2. Why? Because we are receiving examples of the mind of Christ. Know that today. We are receiving examples of the mind of Christ. That's what the entire chapter 2 is about. The mind of Christ. And about unity and about humility. And he's been speaking to us that we can have unity through the humility that we find as we exercise the mind of Christ. And how many of us here know that a divided world today, the divided world that we live in, needs a unified church? Amen. It needs a unified church. And the only way that is to happen is if we are submitted to Jesus. If we have a submissive mind that demonstrates itself in service and in sacrifice. A submissive mind that demonstrates itself in service and in sacrifice. In fact, Jesus is the ultimate example of this as our suffering servant. It says from verses 5 through 8 that he became obedient even to the point of death, the death of the cross. He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation and he gave himself for us on the cross for our sins. He is the ultimate example of humility, of sacrifice, and of service. Jesus. And here we're finding different examples in chapter 2 of love, of unity, demonstrated among the believers of Philippi that teach us humility without complaining. So we saw the example in Jesus of this. We saw the example then in Paul as he's poured out as a drink offering. We saw the example in Timothy as he is a disciple of Paul. And what is he like-minded with spiritual traits and character? That he cared for the state of the believers in Philippi. He had a shepherd's heart. And today we look at the example of Epaphroditus. A man that also demonstrates a selflessness and affection for the church and for the believers. So we learn through Jesus, we learn through Paul, we learn through Timothy, today we learn through Epaphroditus, all giving a good testimony of the gospel. Now, do you want to know the common denominator between the three is that they all lived for the furtherance of the gospel. They did not live for themselves. And it's important that we hear this message so that today you are not preoccupied, you are not distracted, here's the big one, with self. (laughs) That you are not distracted and you are not preoccupied with self. Why? Because it's vain. And we become so accustomed to thinking about self that we become very selfish people where we think, this is mine. Or this is for me. This is my time. These are my gifts. These are my resources. And then we're not able to exercise the mind of Christ that is loving, that is humble, that wants to serve, that wants to give. It was Jim Elliott, the missionary, that said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to repeat that again, that you would really understand that. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, the temporary, give it up, to gain what he cannot lose, eternity. We should be people who are living for eternity. Not for ourselves, 
but for Jesus. And these men, as we see their examples of the mind of Christ, they were incapable of thinking of their own lives except in terms of how their lives related to Christ. How their lives related to Christ. So in Epaphroditus, we see a devoted messenger. Not a leader, not a pastor, but he had a heart of a servant. And in lowliness of mind, Philippians chapter 2, he esteemed others better than himself. In lowliness of mind, he took the path of humility. He was not seeking great things for himself, knowing God is the one that exalts in due time. God's Word tells us that very clearly in 1 Peter 5.6. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And what, what does it say? And He shall exalt you in due time. So through Paul, through Timothy, and through Epaphroditus, we learn this very important word in our Christian walk. It's called discipleship. Discipleship. And I want you to write this down so that you would learn it because it is important that we continue to grow in our discipleship as disciples of Jesus. In Matthew 6, teen, verse 24, Jesus said this. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, if you desire today to follow Jesus, discipleship looks like this. He gives us three steps. Number one, deny yourself. Don't think about yourself. Deny the desires of your flesh. Number two, take up the cross every day. Pick up the cross. What does that mean? Obedience and surrender to God's will. And then finally, number three, and follow me. Discipleship means that you deny yourself, you pick up the cross, and you follow Jesus. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it for a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will a man gain in exchange for his soul? I want to ask you today, what are you living for? Are you living for yourself or are you living for Jesus? Because here we find examples so that we would follow these examples as they followed Christ. And we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would have the same commitment and the same devotion. We learn three things in five verses here. Number one, his calling, when thinking about Epaphroditus, his compassion, and then his commitment. And let's stand this morning as we read God's word, beginning in verse 25 through 30. Philippians chapter 2, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. And if you have a different version, I invite you to look at the screens today so that we sound as one voice reading God's word this morning out loud together. It says this, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my fellow brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men 
in esteem. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask that you would continue to teach us the mind of Christ. As your word tells us, if there's any consolation in Christ, any affection and mercy, any fellowship of the Spirit, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, being of one accord. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, esteeming others better than himself. Teach us, Lord, what humility looks like so that we are not, Lord, self-absorbed. Lord, that we deny ourselves, that we pick up the cross and we follow you. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. You may be seated. We're going to look at verse 25 first as we concentrate on the calling of Epaphroditus. And in it, we find there five different descriptions as to how Paul describes Epaphroditus. The first three are in relation to the gospel. And he says this, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, but your messenger, and the one who ministered to my need. And notice what he's saying, After having told you that I will send Timothy a pastor to shepherd you because there's no one else like him who will sincerely care for your state, as you wait, I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus had been sent by the Philippian church to Paul. He traveled from Philippi to Rome, about 800 miles, a three-month journey to get to Paul. And he had sent now Paul relief from the church of Philippi, a financial gift, and he was there staying with him, meeting his needs. So he says here, his first description of Epaphroditus, he said, my brother. Now circle that there in, your brother, in, your, in the Bible where it says my brother. Because he speaks of a true brother. That's a different version. The New Living Translation would say a true brother. This here gives reference to a relationship that Paul enjoyed. He enjoyed this relationship with Epaphroditus. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, he calls it the fellowship in the gospel. What do we learn in this relationship? Number one, the fellowship in the gospel that him, Paul, and Epaphroditus, they had the same common spiritual life. As we think about believers together, notice what we think. We are brothers and sisters. And we share in the same fellowship of the gospel. Now today, oftentimes, even in ministry or in church, fellowship or relationships are easily overlooked or underestimated in the ministry. But I want to tell you today that fellowship, that relationships are very necessary in your walk as a Christian. Because it is through fellowship that you grow. It is through relationships that you continue to be encouraged with one another that others would encourage you. In fact, it would say in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Why is this important? So that we would also call on those who are our brothers, call on those who are our sisters, 
that we give ourselves over to be good friends and brothers to other people. In fact, ask yourself today, are you a good friend to someone in the church? Are you? You know, the biggest reason why people leave oftentimes is because they say they have no friends at church, so they don't come back. What's well, a big church? I have no friends. In order to have friends, the Bible says, you must be friendly as well. You have to stop and say hi to someone. You have to smile at people. You say, you know what? I have no friends. Nobody wants to be my friend. Then ask yourself, why not? He who wants friends must himself be friendly. So give yourself over to the ministry of fellowship. Give yourself over to the ministry of friendship. Here you see the fellowship in the gospel. My brother, the fellowship in the gospel. What is he teaching us here through this relationship? The fellowship in the gospel. But he also calls them my fellow worker. Not only my fellow brother, but also fellow worker. He's saying he's also a co-worker of mine. He's a laborer. We're equal in the work of the gospel. So not only does he describe that there is a relationship that must be enjoyed, there's also a job that must be done. Now think about that. There is a relationship that we are called to enjoy here with one another. We're called to enjoy the relationship and the fellowship among brothers and sisters. But it doesn't stop at fellowship. We're also called fellow workers. What does that mean? That there is a job to be done. And we notice the furtherance of the gospel. Then we see now here, it explained to us. First the fellowship, and then the furtherance. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, what does he say? And the things that took place to me actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. We have one common life that we share, a spiritual life in Jesus, this fellowship. But we also have one common spiritual effort. It's not simply about fellowship. Have you ever seen the church or Christians? Oftentimes, what we can do, we can get so caught up in fellowship that we forget about the furtherance. <laughs> Don't be so caught up with fellowship that you forget about the furtherance. We see the fellowship of the gospel. We see the furtherance of the gospel. What does this tell us? That evangelism is needed. Evangelism is needed. Paul told Timothy, fulfill, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Your ministry is incomplete without evangelism. Your responsibility is to come together in fellowship. That's what we're called to do. But then go out and evangelize and further the gospel. We have one common spiritual effort. Do not be caught up. We cannot be distracted, self-absorbed as a church. We can be so distracted with a, a breakfast, a lunch, a dinner, a retreat, a conference, a concert, which are all for the believer, but what about for the unbeliever? We need to have a heart for the lost. You know, just two days ago, we had a funeral service here at the church, and actually it was for one of my family members, and it was for my cousin who I grew up with, and I had the opportunity to officiate and, and give the message of that memorial service, a celebration of life, and it was the first time I've ever had done a funeral service, ce celebration of life for a family member, 
So there's a lot of emotions taking place. I'm thankful that my cousin didn't know Christ as his Lord and Savior. Uh, but through his life, he also made many mistakes into having the wrong fellowship and the wrong uh, friends. So he was, for a point of time in his life, he was involved in gangs. And we expected that potentially we would have gang members that would come to his service. And, and sure enough, they did. There was about 40 from a gang in Pomona that came to church on Friday. And they came, they were dressed in gang attire. Um, they had the bandanas. They were tattooed all over their arms, their entire faces, um, as real as you can think of. In fact, you know, one of the pastors came up from outside and told me, hey, they're out there. They're all smoking in the parking lots. And I'm like, great, here I am. I'm going to officiate this. The pastor's family is out there and, you know, this whole gang is it's, it's taking place. They're smoking out there. And they come into the room in where we're holding the service. And uh, as soon as I walk in, after they all had come in, the entire room smells like pot. And I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> so they all sat in one side of the room, and the rest of the family sat in the other side of the room. They were a little intimidated. But we gave the gospel message. And we shared Jesus Christ because we love them and because they need Jesus. And I tell you, when it was time to receive and accept Christ as Lord and Savior in tears, about 20, 30 of them stood up and came, the entire altar was full. Because they heard the message of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel. That is the power of the gospel unto salvation. That's what the Bible tells us. And we're responsible to share with others that don't know him. We're responsible to give the gospel not only are we called brothers? We're also called workers. Remind yourself that today. You're not just called a brother. You're called a fellow worker. There's, all, there's yes, fellowship in the gospel, but there's also furtherance in the gospel. And then notice number three, he calls them a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier. My brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. In fact, in the first chapter of Philippians, verse 27, he teaches us that we are to grow in the faith of the gospel. And fellow soldier is a title that's only given to those who fought honorably, to those who, alongside another soldier, would undergo conflict and battle together. So what he's describing here in verse 25 when he thinks about Epaphroditus He's saying this is a man who understood and fought in spiritual warfare together with me. This, one, this was one who honorably served the Lord in the battle. There is a faith in the gospel. So what do we learn? There's a relationship to be enjoyed in fellowship, yes. There's a job to get done in the furtherance of the gospel. But there's also a battle that must be fought. Remember that there's a battle that must be fought. We have the same common spiritual life. We have the same common spiritual effort, evangelism. We have the same common spiritual enemy. So what do we do as soldiers, as those that are fighting and battling in the ministry, defending the faith? Ephesians 6.10, what does it tell us? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
And this is important so that we would realize that it's not simply about fellowship, but it's also about evangelism, and then it's also about defending the faith. So here we see these taking place in the life of Epaphroditus, and he says, but your messenger, notice who he was, or what he referred to him as a messenger. This is another word for apostle, one who is sent. Epaphroditus was a missionary. He was one that was sent from the church to go out and meet the needs of Paul. He was one to, to, that was sent to send relief, financial relief, to Paul as well, to meet his needs. So we see here that he was your messenger. In fact, he calls him the one who ministered to my need. A messenger, but notice, a servant. He ministered. That word minister doesn't mean one who preaches or one who stands behind a pulpit. Minister means servant. And he says, the one who served and met my need. The one who brought that financial gift and met my practical needs. This is who he was, a missionary and a servant. A missionary and a servant. You know what Epaphroditus Give us an example of, of a balanced believer. Remind yourself, write that down, a balanced believer. Why? Because it's important in the Christian life. Some people emphasize fellowship so much that they forget about the furtherance of the gospel. Others are so involved in the faith of the gospel, defending the faith of the gospel, that they neglect fellowship with other believers. No, we must be balanced believers. Like Nehemiah, we heard this on Wednesday nights. As he was battling the enemy, he was also building the wall. What are we? We're ba battling and we're also building. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. Think about that when God calls you to serve the Lord, maybe bivocationally sacrificing, serving the Lord. It said that they were building the wall in one hand, they had a sword to watch for the enemy. <laughs> but at the same time in the other, they had a stone to build the wall. They were battling and then they were also building. We have to remember today that you are a brother, that you are also here a worker, and that you are a soldier. Notice those three callings that we receive here. My brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. I heard a, about a group of Christians whose only concern was fellowship. And they never had a concern for reaching the lost or defending the faith from the enemy. In fact, the place where they met outside, they had a sign that they had hung there. It said, Jesus only. Jesus only. <laughs> That's what it said, Jesus only. And on that sign, there was a wind that came one day and it blew some letters away from that sign in the name of Jesus. So then the sign only read, us only. <laughs> us only, that's what it read. But what a perfect description of a group of people who are not balanced believers. Who instead of Jesus, we think it's about us. I'm gonna tell you this, it's not about you. <laughs> It's not about you. Don't make it about yourself. That's the reason why there's difficulties and problems in the church. And we'll read about them in chapter 4 because people think that it's about themselves. The mind of Christ is one that's submitted to Christ, that's submitted to the Lord, 
and esteems others better than themselves. This is how we cultivate true unity. This is how we're able to walk out of the church without complaints. This is how we are not thinking of ourselves, not not, not complaining about things, not griping, but notice the mind of Christ allows you to have also a heart that wants to serve other people. So you see the calling of a brother, of a worker, and of a soldier, but now let's look at his compassion. Let's look at his compassion. In verse 26, it says, Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because of you, when he, because you heard that he was sick. Look at the compassion here that we're going to see. It says, I'm sending him to you because he wants to see you. In fact, he uses that word, he's longing for you. He's longing for them because he loves them. He wants to see them. He wants to be with them. He wants to return to his home church. And the reason why he wants to return to his home church is going to tell us this, longing for you all and distressed because you had heard that he was sick. In fact, he's distressed now. In fact, he's agonizing. Here, Epaphroditus is described as one that's in a heavy state of restlessness that results from turmoil or some type of great trauma. Agonizing. He's in great distress. But why is he distressed? He's distressed because he knows that the Philippian church has heard that he has become sick, so now they are worried about him. And here's a sick man that does not want others to be worried about him. He was more concerned about the Philippians' worry for him than he was for his own difficult situation. So what did he want to do? He wanted to return so that he would give them peace of mind. So that they would not be burdened by him. Do you see the heart of a servant here? That he did not want the people to be burdened by him. That's the heart of a servant. The heart of a servant is one that doesn't want to add burdens to other people. That's the heart of a servant, to not add burdens to others. And here you see his heart. He was more concerned in his sick state for the condition of the church than he was for his own difficult situation. You know what he teaches us here? That even as we go through trials, whether it's sickness, here being Epaphroditus' trial, or suffering of any kind, you know what we're called to do? We're still called to have compassion on other people. Because you never know what other people are going through as well. You're still called to serve through sickness. Serve through trials. Serve through suffering. That is the mind of Christ. Isaiah 53, it describes Jesus, our Messiah, as the suffering servant. The suffering servant. Not serve when it's convenient for me or when it makes sense, right? Oftentimes we want to serve the Lord, but if it's convenient for us, we'll serve Him. And it's not, I don't want to do that. Oh, we came to church in the morning. You're telling us to come back at night again? Oh, forget it. Don't worry about it. I'm not coming to that. That we would have a concern, a genuine care for one another. You know, oftentimes the Lord allows us to go through difficult situations. You know why? So that we learn compassion. So we learn compassion. And notice what it says here in verse 27. 
for indeed he was sick. This was a good and godly man that suffered with sickness. He almost died. In fact, why did that happen? Because we live in a corrupted world, in a fallen nature of sin. And even a good and godly person can go through trials like these. And it says, in fact, he was sick, and he almost died unto death. His sickness was almost unto death. He almost died, but circle the words there, but God. The doctor can say something, and they say that there's no more answers, but God is good. He has the final word. How many of you guys believe that today? But God. But God stepped in. He intervened. He's saying Epaphroditus almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, lest I should sorrow and have it upon sorrow. He said, I'm already sorrowing in regards to my own trial. And God had mercy on Epaphroditus and also on me so that he would not die on the account of him having to serve me. And Paul describes his heart here. And he says, listen, his healing His recovery, his restoration, Paul saw all of that as a token of the mercy of God. Thank you, God, because you're so merciful. You healed him, you recovered him, you restored him. So that I wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow knowing that he lost his life in efforts to minister to me. You see, we should have a heart and be burdened more missions and to serve the Lord in difficult places. Not where only where it's easy, but where it's going to cost us. Because that's what it means to deny yourself that you're willing to sacrifice and to serve sacrificially, selflessly. This is exactly what Epaphroditus did. So that we would not be so inwardly focused on self, on I, on what I want, and forget about those that are lost. You know what the problem is with too many churches today is that we have too many spectators and not enough disciples. Not enough participants. Epaphroditus, number one, he had a burden for the need, so he went. He had a burden for the need, so he went. But he also had a burden for his home church, so he returned. (laughs) And also, you see, He wanted to give them peace and comfort in their time of worry over him. And it tells us in verse 28 this, Therefore I send him, the more eagerly or urgently I send him to you again, that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Now he gives us three ways as to how we are to be concerned and we are to treat one another. First, he gives us an attitude. And the attitude here is rejoice. This is how they were to receive him. You are to rejoice. When you see him, rejoice that I may be less sorrowful. In fact, he's saying, be glad when you see him. Again, the concept and the theme of joy going through this epistle of Philippians. And rejoice so that I may be less sorrowful, so that I'm not so worried and anxious and concerned about you. So he sends him so that they would be encouraged. He had a burden for the people. So the purpose was so that they would be encouraged. Now notice, what a picture here in verse 28 of 
Christian compassion. Compassion. Rejoice when you see him, that I may be less sorrowful. Notice, they were not concerned about themselves because they were concerned about each other. They cared about one another. They cared about each other's needs. And he says, when you see him, I want you to rejoice. When you see him, and notice that word again, again. Have you ever maybe known a brother or sister and you haven't seen him for a long time, right? And then you see him again, and what do you say? Oh, where have you been this whole time, right? Instead of saying, I'm so glad to see you again. I want you to rejoice in the fellowship that you have with him. This is the type of fellowship that we are called to in unity, to rejoice with one another when we see one another. Rejoice. But notice verse 29, receive. First we have rejoice, then we have receive him. Don't reject him, receive him. Welcome him back in the Lord's love. Receive him therefore in the Lord with gladness. Receive him in the Lord with a good attitude. Be open to hospitality, to welcoming him back into the fellowship. Don't think that that he quit in the ministry. Do not consider him as one that didn't finish his work. But when you see him, rejoice and receive him back in the Lord. Notice what it says. With all gladness, with a good attitude. This is the way that we should receive people in the church, with a good attitude. The people in the ministry, the people that we serve with, receive them with a good attitude, rejoice with them, and then receive them with gladness. But notice the third here call that we receive, not only to rejoice, to receive, but here's the final one, to respect. (laughs) To respect. Notice that and write that down because he says, and hold such men in esteem. Rejoice, receive, and respect him. Give him the proper recognition. Give him the honor that people like him or such men deserve. The proper appreciation for those people for the glory of God. Now notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. Recognize who they are, those who are laboring or working hard to the point of fatigue among you and are over you or your overseers in the Lord who the Lord has placed there and those that admonish you or those that teach you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Would you respect them for what they do for the Lord? For how the Lord is using them to teach you so that you would grow in your relation with the Lord? And then he says this in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 5.13, be at peace among yourselves. You want to have peace among one another, among yourselves, as he would call us to? You know what it's going to require? Respect. Humility, you know what humility does in the life of Christians? It rejoices with one another. You know what humility also does? It receives one another. (laughs) And humility also respects one another. This is important that we know this. Because this is the mind of Christ, to rejoice with one another, to receive one another, and to respect one another, especially such men, those who the Lord is using that work and labor in the word for you. 
Notice his compassion, but let's look finally at his commitment. And the commitment here is found in verse 30, because for the work of Christ, that's the key there, for the work of Christ. And this is a call to sacrificial life. For the work of Christ here, not not for your own work, but for the work of Christ, it says, he came close to death. Now regarding his life, so that, or to supply, what was lacking in your service towards me. For the work of Christ, he was willing to sacrifice. Remember that. Receive him because for the work of Christ, Epaphroditus was willing to sacrifice. This demonstrates his commitment to the work. He put the work of the Lord first and his life second. Notice, he put the work of the Lord first and his life second. Why? He was sold out for the gospel, for the ministry. In fact, that in verse 30, as it says, not regarding, you know what this means? Is that he disregarded his life. He didn't consider his own life. He wasn't so attached or in love with his own life. He disregarded it. This this means a selfless act to risk his own life, his own safety, to minister to the needs of other people. Not looking for convenience, not looking to be comfortable, but looking how he can serve people, disregarding what is best for himself. In fact, it would tell us that he was at the point of death. He was weak while he was serving, but he was ready to die if need be. Now, here he describes Epaphroditus as a man who's so loyal. He describes Epaphroditus as one that is faithful, dependable, that is willing to sacrifice, that he's not in bondage to anything because he's a servant and a slave to Christ. Today, I want to ask you, is, is there something that you are unwilling to give to the Lord, unwilling to serve Him in a certain capacity? Because the moment that you start saying, you know what, I, I won't do that, then ask yourself, what else will you do for, won't you do for Jesus? What else won't you do for Jesus? Here Epaphroditus demonstrates one that is loyal to the call. There's not simply one that just listens, not simply one that receives, but also one that's willing to give. The Bible tells us, and we spoke on it last week, Acts chapter 20, speaking of the words of Christ, it is better to give than what? To receive. Can we say that out loud together from the beginning? It is better than to receive. That is amazing. Epaphroditus demonstrated that. It is better to give than to receive. Generosity. Generosity to the point where it costs you. And notice in verse 30, it would describe it this way, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Why did he do this? He was faithful so that he would supply. He was faithful so that he would stand in the gap. He was faithful so that he would meet the need. He said he did this so that he could meet the need that you couldn't. The need that you couldn't meet, the need that was lacking, he supplied it on your behalf. You couldn't because you were far away. So he came and he was present. And that which was lacking, Epaphroditus supplied. 
So Paul was grateful. Now notice, we should have the heart that if there is something lacking in our service, we are not going to stop until the job is done. Ask yourself, what's lacking so that I can meet the need? We, we should not be satisfied with good intentions. I'll have good intentions. I'll, I'll serve the Lord. I'll, I'll kind of help. Or, or a half-done job. But be fully committed to the call of following Jesus Christ. And say, whatever is lacking, I want to supply it. I heard it be said that we approach our Lord by the altar stairs of sacrifice. By the altar stair of sacrifice. In fact, as you look at Philippians chapter 2, we see that Jesus is our example of sacrifice. He became obedient to the point of death, the death of the cross. Timothy is our example of service. What does he teach us? Like-minded. No one else like him who sincerely cares for your state. Epaphroditus, our example of serving even in sickness and suffering. God is looking for men and women that are willing to stand in the gap. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, when the nation of Israel needed someone to stand, Ezekiel 22, 30 says, The Lord said, For I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me. I sought for someone that would stand in the gap and make a wall before me on behalf of the land, on behalf of the people, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. I found no one. In fact, too much of our Christianity today, it's, you know what it is? It's drenched with a lot of sentiment, but it's empty of sacrifice. Don't be just a person that has sentiment, but no sacrifice. Because it's time for us to stop making excuses, put your life on the altar, and say, Lord, here I am, use me. Here I am, use me. So that we don't live a life that is so self-absorbed that it's about me, myself, and I. That every day you're saying, whatever the Lord wants of me, I'm willing to give to him. I'm willing to give to him. It used to be that we would say, you know what, I gave Christ my life. When you really are committed sacrificially, you don't even say, I gave him my life. Now you say, he is my life. <laughs> He's everything that I am. This is the commitment that Epaphroditus demonstrated. That we understand and we know that if Jesus Christ died for you and he died for me, then there can be no sacrifice that is too great that we should be willing to make for him. But I sought for a man who would build a wall and stand in the gap before me, but I found no one. Maybe today you're here and you're saying, you know what, I want to stand in the gap. I want to stand in the gap and supply that which is lacking. But before that, I need to make the commitment to Christ. I don't want to have a half-committed life as a Christian. I want to be, have a fully committed life as a Christian. And that's today. If that's you, I want, to, I want to pray for you today that you would say, today is the day where I fully commit. I don't want half-commitment because Christ doesn't accept that. He wants all or nothing. So if that's you right now, you say, I want to make a full commitment to Jesus Christ, just stand up right where you are because I want to pray for you right now. Just stand up saying, you know what, today I understand that I haven't been giving my commitment to Christ as I should have. 
I haven't been following him the way that I should have been following him. And God is calling me to follow him in a different way. Just stand up right now where you are. 